Hey there, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Margaret Petrie, and this is Authentic Obsessions. The world is filled with prolific artists who have an obsessive hunger to create. And today, you get to hear my conversation with the lively, wonderful Shannon Amy, a kind-hearted and generous soul who creates vibrant, gestural, abstract paintings. She's a Canadian currently living in Finland along the shores of the Baltic Sea, and she has lived and traveled all over the world. She completed a graduate degree in creativity, love, and spirituality at the University of Calgary. How cool is that. Shannon's immersion and exploration of all the places and people she's interacted with deeply influences her work. She draws upon these experiences and interviews where she explores human connections, memories, and story. She created this lexicon or vocabulary to translate these memories and stories into a visual experience. She paints all the feelings, joy, confusion, sadness through this legend that she created. Infused in her many layers of art are the things we say out in the world, the things we feel, what we show other people, and what we keep inside, and the conversation that they have with each other. You are going to love this conversation. And you have to follow her on Instagram, not only to see her beautiful work, but so you'll be the first to know when her digital courses launch. I've already recommended her to several people. Check out the show notes for links to things we've talked about. And of course, pictures from Shannon's studio and her artwork. A couple notes about references from this episode. I'm not exactly detail oriented, so I know I wasn't completely accurate in my descriptions. I mentioned Time Slips, which is an international network of artists and caregivers committed to bringing joy to late life. They bring meaningful and creative engagement to people who are isolated or wrestling with dementia. I really appreciate and value this organization and I apologize for anything I got wrong. There are links in the show notes where you can find out more. And I know my description of the movie like Water for Chocolate wasn't exactly accurate, but you get the gist. Of course, I would love for you to follow me on Instagram at Authentic Obsessions. But what I really would love is for you to share the podcast because this isn't about me getting a bunch of likes. It's about community and sharing the stories and experiences of these other artists. We need to get them out in the world. These are incredible people and they have great stories. And I just want to be a vessel for your curiosity. So if you like this episode, if it resonates with you, if you think someone else would appreciate it, please share it with a friend and please subscribe and leave a review because that's how people will find us. All right. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Shannon Amy. I think I want to start this conversation just by asking you about your obsessions. Okay. Let's do, do you, it. Do you have any obsessions? How do they manifest? Okay. So I did have a little think about the, the name of your podcast and authentic obsessions. And the first thing I thought was, I have a lot of obsessions. <laughs> I think the one that stands out for me is I'm really interested in people's story. Like when I meet new people, like where they're from, who they are, uh, how they see themselves. And I think through that process of getting to hear the origin stories of people and how they perceive themselves, it helps you reflect in perhaps self-identify and find your place in what my own story is. How did that, how did that manifest? Have you always been interested in other people's stories? I think that I had, I know you and I had spoken earlier that when I was about 19 years old, I was gifted a trunk full of old photographs 
it was from my grandparents' basement. And they had lived in that house for maybe 40 years. So there was years and years of photographs. Some of them were given to them. And through years of going through all of these old photographs, I was always wondering, who are all of these people? And wanting to find out who they were. So I started creating little profiles and had little journals. I gave them fake names if there was no name written on the back of the photograph. And I would interview family members and friends uh, at gatherings to see if they could find out who these people were. I think that that's where it kind of stemmed for me was um, a young teenager on my way about to go into my first year of art school and had this trunk of photographs and wanted to find out these stories of strangers in photographs. And so what did you find out? What did they tell you? It was fantastic, right? I would have one photograph and I would show it to four different people and they would all tell me an entirely different story about who these people were. One of my favorites is that I have this photo and I'm going to have to send it to you later now because I've made a painting of it. And I had this photograph of these two women and I would show it to my father and he'd be like, oh, that's Mrs. Umsid and her and her mother. Oh, they were just so lovely to us when we were little children. They were our next door neighbors and she would give us candies and I would go over there and we'd have tea. And then I'd show the exact same photograph <laughs> to another family member who would say, oh, I remember them, the Umsids. They were so mean and nasty and they really didn't like children. <laughs> so I guess what I was discovering was that there's obviously this singular subjective perspective of how people remember and experience and create stories of others and themselves. And so that impacts how we build our own memories about ourselves and how we create memories of other people. Yeah. There's been a lot of research done on memory, whether memory is created, if it's real, if it's true, doesn't matter if, you know, people argue about, no, I remember this. No, I remember this. But like, is everyone right? Like, how do you define memory? Yeah. For me, I don't know if I have a definition, I'd have to work on a working definition of what I think memory is, but I think how we say we remember things, that's valid. So however we remember it now, that's valid. That's our current truth and how we feel, believe in ourselves and our bodies that it's real. And some of the research I did later when I was digging into the stuff around memory was I was looking at this uh, notion of malleable memory. So if you think about malleable like clay or putty, right, how you, how you can move it and how it's changing over time. And so there's been research about malleable memories and how they change. I think the most common thing that we hear is that we remember from the last time we remembered. Have you heard that? No. Yeah. So each time we re-remember, it might just tweak and change a little bit, right? And then it will be, if it, say we remember every year or every five years or every 10 years, well, then we're filling in that gap with all of those years of information and personal experiences and traumas and joys and hopes and everything that we've carried and that's influenced our world and who we are now to the re-remembering. So it's evolving and it's changing and it becomes a new story and a new narrative. And so in terms of my research around memory and how we construct our own identity of ourselves and what we know of ourselves and how it changes, mm-hmm. I think it's okay to, for it to change because it's who we are now. And so bringing it back to these old photographs and using those uh, as inspiration or actually physically using them in artwork, 
I was on this mission to try and find out who these people are so I could like paint them and create truths about them and bring them back to life and let them be honored when really I just want to help create a new memory for them that maybe is fictitious or is folklore, but it's fun and it's a new narrative and it's created subjectively between my, you know, my subjective perspective of it and the viewer and we can, we can make our own stories and that's okay. And if we could agree to disagree that our memories aren't the same, I think that a lot of relationships might not have so much angst about, no, this is the way it happened and arguing about what really was true because it's all true. If it's your memory, it's true. Right? I totally agree. And you can think about, you can think about that in your partnerships and close relationships, or even when you're, if you have a sibling to talk about experiences from childhood together, there's always that moment where you're like, did that, is that what happened? Well, and even if it happened or didn't happen, it informed the rest of your life going forward, which means it's valid and true to you. It doesn't matter what the other person thinks. What they think is also valid and true. And you just have to, why argue about it? What difference does it make if you have your own experience? Yeah. I don't know. So these are the things that make- fascinating. It is fascinating. And it is, I would say, part of the authentic obsession is that these are people's stories and their origins. And this is how they identify and see themselves and what they're speaking is their truth. And that's okay if it's different from yours. So, so talk about how all that research and that work on memory informs your artwork. You've done abstract and representational portraits, right? Back to abstract. Can you talk a little bit about your artistic journey in relationship to memory? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I think what happened was, is that when I was doing the representational portraits and I was actually physically working with the photographs, either painting them, superimposing them, doing underlays, there was a time where I was just doing ones of my close family. So I would say like my parents and grandparents. So I knew all the people in, in the photos. And uh, I did a series called I Love You Because, and I took pieces of, I don't know if it was vellum or something like that sort of consistency. Sure. And I wrote letters on this underlay of the vellum, and I wrote down all the reasons that I loved the people on the back of these pieces of vellum. Oh, how beautiful. And while I was doing this, it got too difficult. It was too emotional. I'd find myself crying through writing these. It was too powerful. And... It was just too, too much for me. And I almost just wanted to get them done. And I, I've thought about it a lot over the years since I did that series. And I don't know if I've come to any specific conclusions about it, but it was too powerful. So I set it aside and I started working with photographs of people that I didn't know. So these were these like floating random family member photos that I had or ones that other people had gifted me because it, apparently I didn't know it, but I was in the business of collecting passed on relatives <laughs> envelopes of old photos of strangers and I even had shop collectors or shopkeepers at local antique shops starting to keep envelopes of photographs (laughs) of me and then I would find myself buying photographs at like yard sales and stuff of people I didn't you're that person who buys all those old (laughs) photographs (laughs) um and I, I have them all posted up in my studio as well and I started to see a theme of the type of photos I collect and I often collect photos of women And I particularly like photos of women working. 
and doing rather interesting jobs. So jobs that could be perhaps out of character for the time or perhaps ones that could be perfect job crowding of the time, whatever, whatever it may be. But there, there's something about this and I think that might have to do with um, often these groups of women together and working. I love the, the dresses, I love the hairstyles, I love the lipsticks, <laughs> I love those terrible bras. What was so great is that I started spending so much time with these photographs that and creating paintings of them and analyzing them and enlarging them and sketching, sketching, and then drawing them and painting them that I started creating new stories for them. And I created new lives for them and new, you know, new memories for them. And it launched into this next series called Our Memories Are Secret. So here are these people that I've never met. I found them in a cardboard box at a yard sale. The photos look very old. The chances of them being alive are very low. And we're giving them a new opportunity to be, you know, celebrated into the world again. And there can be the story that I created about them. But then as the viewer, you have the opportunity to create that too. And any story you want. Uh, I, ha I haven't done it, but I had this idea where I wanted to do a series and I wanted to have the works installed in a gallery, large scale portraits. And with each one, have a string with a hand bound journal next to it and invite the viewer to do one day journal entry and just have the, like the new life story created of these people. We could just co-create a new narrative together and give this person a new life. I thought that would be really fun. I'm all about, I'm always stuck between interactive art stuff and art just to be viewed. And then maybe that's the art education background in me. There's a really interesting program called Time Slips. A woman started this program to work with Alzheimer patients I'm going to get this wrong a little bit, but, but it's basically she, she created a, a program for um, like activity directors to work with people in these care communities where residents? you take residents, where you take, you take a photograph and the first person would say something about the photograph and then it would go on to the next person and they would create a brand new story about this photograph. And what they found is it doesn't matter true, not true, but it activates their mind and it gets them really excited that they're creating this story. And it's very simplistic, but they created the story like that. So if you were to do something like that, even like in an elder care home, that's like, that's kind of the same thing. That's what I would love to do. Yeah. And just hearing what you said about, you know, creating excitement around it, because when you have the opportunity to interact with work or with an image and there's no stress and there's no pressure. Nobody's asking you to remember. You don't need to know anything. You get right. to just put your own stuff out there. You're building creative capacity, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that expression itself and being in that zone is, uh, gives you all the, gives you all the good tingly feelies. Well, and you're creating joy in someone else's life. Oh. I mean, that just feels like why we're here. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah, want to go back to place. something to something you said, the I love you because yep. series that you did. Did you share what you wrote with the people that you wrote about? Um, not entirely, no. What I, some, of the, some of the paintings I did gift to my family members. Some of them I still actually have hiding in my own private collection in my home in Canada. And you can see parts of the text under right. the images. So basically... I did an abstract base layer. I did the vellum with the love letters. And then on the 
other side of the vellum, I drew portraits of my family members. And so they're kind of covering and showing parts of the thing. So some right. of the information is there to see and uh, some, some, of it's, some of it's not and that's okay. okay. And then that sort of moved into our memories are secret. And mm -hmm. what has happened from there is that I've always done some sort of abstraction and backgrounds and, and been drawn to that sense of process-based intuitive expression, right? Like emotive, go for it. And what has happened now when it has transitioned is that over time, I'm realizing that I'm more connected to the stories and the memories and the ideas and the feelings of experiences from, you know, being with people in places rather than just the representational images themselves. And so how my work has transformed now is that it's primarily, I still do some portrait stuff, but it's primarily abstracts solely. And the work now is an expression of these memories or stories of my own or others that have been shared with me. I like to think of it as a, a translation into a, you know, it's a visual opportunity of a, of a translation of a memory. I've created a sort of um, memory bank or lexicon or vocabulary, or I don't know <laughs> what you want to call it. And I have different ways that I paint sensation. So there might be ones for joy, for sadness, for confusion, for unknown. And I've created sort of a legend and, um, you know, this map of how I infuse these paintings to create the translation of the memory. So is it color? Is it pattern? Is it, is it all of those things? I'm looking at, her work is so amazing. You have to check it out. But I'm looking at a painting you have in the background and I can see like, I can see some repeat patterns. There's the big circles and the very yeah. small little patterns. And I've seen those before on your other works too. So like, do you have synesthesia by any chance? I know. I often, I, I've like done a lot of Googling. I should do more online tests because I've heard other people talk about what synesthesia is for them. And I think, oh, that's not me. But then when I like go and look on Google, I'm like, maybe I, maybe I have that. It's very maybe different. I have, I have that. it. Okay. I have it and I'm sorry, I've known it for a while and I never thought it was very strong. I just thought I'm just particularly strange in the way okay. I, I have a hard time verbally describing things, but in my mind, I can see them. For me, yes. it's more like days of the week, time, like days of the week have a color to me. So it's really interesting. You should, you should check it out. Synesthesia is really a melding of the senses, right? Yeah. And I'm totally with you where maybe not for days of the week, but I see things in, I always thought, oh, I'm a visual learner. Maybe it's my learning style. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then I realized that, no, I'm a mix of visual and kinesthetic. I realized that I'm like you, I see everything in pictures. So everything works in, in pictures for me the, same, the exact same way with color. And I often call it intuition. Yeah. And what I think it is, is spidey a combination sense. of intuition and yeah. spidey sense and yeah. the synesthesia part. It evokes feeling. Yeah, I fully agree. Talk more about yeah, the lexicon so I that you built. Right. <laughs> so I feel like, um, you know, I, these symbols or repeat patterns and they change and evolve. And sometimes I'll just be mm -hmm. going at it, you know, very naturally just painting and something will pop out that's an old one that I maybe haven't 
done in a few years. And I'm like, oh, there, there you are. (laughs) (laughs) There's that loop-de-loo. And I, you know, I started thinking about it and I think, well, like what place does it have and what does it mean? So sometimes things come up. A lot of my work, there's big, bold symbol strokes. I don't know, gestures, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. And then there's very fine, muted, small details. And so I have this big, loud, overbearing, in-your-face dialogue that's taking place. And then I have the background, you know, subconscious, feeling in your stomach, tinglies that are the quiet ones that sort of run through. And they always intercept and they touch and they bounce and work together. So it's more like the things that we say out into the world and then the things we feel and, and what we show other people and what we keep inside and the, you know, that conversation that they have, have with each other. And so I don't want to say that it's so prescribed that like this specific loop-de-loo right. means love or this two finger strokes means, you know, sadness. But there is something that when I'm doing reflections of memory, there are certain symbols that come naturally and repeat themselves. And I've been doing this for so long now that it just comes, right? It just comes. I'm not really reflecting on, you know, a style or a look or the palette so much. I'm more focusing in on the memory or the sensation that I want to go with in that moment. And the very first thing I do when I start with a new canvas is I activate the substrate by writing a letter. So sometimes it's to myself, like a journal entry. Sometimes it's to a person, like a dedication. And I write them a letter and it's big and it's gestural and it's abstract. And I write this whole thing down as the the base layer. And then the paint goes on top. So under every painting, there's like 20 secret paintings hiding under underneath there. That's so wonderful. Paula DeStefanis, I hope you're listening to this right now. Are there reactions or conversations you hope to spark in other people when they view your work? I don't have any specific intent for the viewer or the collector, truly, because their response, their sensations, it's going to be fully their own based on their lived lives and their truth and what they see and how they feel the work. But what I do believe is this, When we take the time and slow down and we learn how to tune in to ourselves, our creative practice, and our own work, we're creating work that is authentically ours. We're not watching trends on the internet. We're not, you know, stalking other artists on Instagram. And we're not like, you know, saving these Pinterest pages of color palettes, shapes, and symbols that other people are doing that. When we put that all away, and we put in our time, is it ten, our 10,000 hours? When we put that, invest that into ourselves and into our own work instead of others, the work becomes more authentic. And when your work is authentic and you put it out there, I think that's what speaks to other people. And that they feel that. They feel the realness behind it. And I mean, I'm sure you know, you know this. You have internet. You can see, <laughs> you can see that there's... A lot of work that looks looks the same out there. The art educator in me, sometimes I'll, I'll get a little bit snarky and I'll leave a comment and I'll, I'll just politely say, and who are your influences? <laughs> and just to see if they know that their work looks identical to 
so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. Because I think being influenced and appreciating and loving other people's stuff is great. Oh, it's so wonderful. What you need to find what's yours coming from you. How do you feel about, I had this conversation with a couple other people, about followers on Instagram and having other artists as followers or having people who aren't artists? Okay. Uh, I listened to this on your other yeah, on one yeah. of your podcasts. Okay. So, well, for me, I, I don't care um, because I'm just so happy that there's like other humans out in the universe who want to <laughs> like follow along on this like creative journey with me. I'm like, wow, I, <laughs> you know this. Right, <laughs> this right, right. Met. I send video messages to people and I'm like, I'm so happy you're here. And I hope we can cultivate a collaborative community together and grow in our creative practice, you know, alongside one another. And that's um, exactly how Shannon and I met. She sent me a, <laughs> a message on Instagram. It was like a 15 second video message saying, I'm so glad you're here. Good luck with your podcast. Can't wait to listen. And that was it. She wasn't like, can I please be on your podcast? I want to be your friend. I think your stuff is beautiful. Oh my God. You know, she, it was this short, quick, and in 15 seconds, I knew, I just knew she was someone I had to connect with. And here we are. So yeah, thank you for that. Great. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I never thought this was go going, going to happen. But I think, okay, I want to talk about this a little bit. So yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, I could have the dream and think, oh, I only want people that are going to collect my work. You know, people that are going to collect my work to, uh, to follow me because it's a, you know, marketing sales platform. Well, I've worked in public education for a lot of my life and I worked for arts nonprofits and art centers and all of these kinds of things. That's not my main goal. Sure. I love having art, you know, affectionados being on following me, but having beginning artists and other artists follow me, that's like, that's super flattering, right? They're in the game. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, Whoa, you do this and, and you like, you want to look, you want to look at my pictures too? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm so, I'm so honored. And I, I won't say their names, but in the past two weeks, I've had two huge artists that I look up to follow me. And I like had fan, like kind of fangirl meltdowns. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> following me. I love connecting with beginning artists. I love people that are on the beginning of their creative journey. Uh, you know, the past two weeks, I've had so many conversations, texting videos, and some instant, you can make phone calls on Instagram now with uh, artists that maybe went to art school 30 years ago and are just starting again, or people who have dabbled as a hobby and are starting to want to break out, uh, you know, after pandemic, like pandemic time of this becoming their new career. And, you know, you, I hear the same things over and over again about people refinding their creativity and wanting to develop their artistic style and their artistic path. And I think, wow, like, I want these people as my followers. I think this is great. I've spent a lifetime researching creativity and working in creative development and art education. And I trained professionally as an artist. And I feel like, yeah, they can like my pictures, but maybe... I can help get, give them some value and help them on, on their journey. And that's the stuff that feels really great, right? So how will you do that? What are your ideas? <sighs> what are my ideas? So I'm currently in the process of writing some digital e-courses. 
some of them will be uh, hands-on doing paintings and drawings. And I would also like to have a secondary lecture series where it's more talking about uh, steps to developing your own creative practice and finding your individual artistic, authentic voice and style. And perhaps just some tips and tricks that I've learned myself as being a practicing artist for the past 20 years. And ones that I've sort of honed in from teaching thousands of people over the years that help them get there faster. Oh, that you know, sounds hot, really cool. Hot, hot tips is what I like to say. My girlfriends and I were like, what are your hot tips? Give me your hot tips. <laughs> Do you uh, have a hot tip for us? Do I have a hot, hot tip for you? Well, I think one of my hot tips would be if you go back and you look through your own work, hopefully people are documenting their and photographing the work. Is everybody listening? Document your work. <laughs> Just phone, you have a cell phone. I know you do. Photograph it all the way. Uh, but if you go back and you look through all your work, say the past five years or 10 years, or maybe, you know, just recent, but whatever you have, you pick your 10 favorite pieces. And you can do this on the computer where you just have images of them in front of you, or you can physically put them in front of you on the table. And I would get a piece of paper, journal out, or your phone or the computer, whatever works for you. And I would try and like write down what are the things that you love about that work. And you can start with the simple stuff like, is it the colors, the palette that you love? Is it the marks? Is it one specific mark? Is it the quiet space? Is it the loud space? And then I would keep trying to go deeper where what are the feelings that you get from each of these pieces? Do you feel calm? Do you feel joy? Do you, you know, is it exciting? Does it give you energy? Does it make you sleepy? And then I would take it even further and think, can you connect this to a memory in your lifetime? Does this make you, does this have a memory from childhood, from teenage years, from your early twenties or, you know, um, when you were first married, when you had your first child, if you did those things, I don't know, but something that you would connect to a life event for you and start trying to compartmentalize and personalize what you love about your own work because the work that will speak to other people the work that will be authentically you comes from you so when you try and narrow in deeper and deeper of finding what that is you can tune into it closer and faster and more often and then you can learn to repeat it and it becomes more natural and it, you start making work that you love more oh you have to start that people need to do that I think um, it's happening. Good, it's good, good, good. Oh, you have to keep us posted. I think that there's just nothing original really anymore. And even if you look at like things that were invented, nothing is brand new. It's a compilation of things, right? That have all come together to create something new. But you, you as a human being, you are the thing that is original. There's no one else like you. So if you're unapologetically you, and you're authentically you, that is the thing that's original. It's not the painting that's original. It's the energy that you get behind you. Do you know the movie, um, uh, Like Water for Chocolate? When you're baking bread, if you're angry when you're baking bread and the people who eat the bread eat the bread, they're going to feel that anger and they're going to get an upset stomach or something terrible is going to happen. But if it's baked with love, and your authentic self, right? And the other person eats this bread that was baked with love. I feel like the same thing happens with art <sighs> and creativity that if you're <sighs> creating it from your own authentic self and the viewer is looking at it, they can sense it. They're responding. As Krista said, she said, people respond to truth. It's the simplest statement 
You might not be able to explain it in words, but people respond to it. And we know, we know. They can smell it. Like you with the movie, I don't know if this is the right book, but there's a book written in the, maybe in the 40s, is it called The Secret Life of Plants? Do you know this book? I'm going to have to look it up and see if I, but you know, there's this one where they do the study and you have two plants and you yell and do say, oh, yes, yes, yes. I know this experiment. (laughs) Yeah. And then the other one, you're like, one grows and flourishes. Yes. And and one withers and dies. Yes. Yes. When I was doing my graduate degree in creativity, it was actually um, a degree in creativity and spirituality. And at the time it was the only, and I don't know if it is still yet, but in Canada, it was the only graduate degree in, in spirituality. Uh, in the country, and the um, head of that has now, um, he's now retired. He, he waited until he was 72 to retire, and uh, we were the last group. We're good friends. We meet up for lunch in the city. It's great. You know, one of the things I love is that he'll, <laughs> he'll get like a huge, one of these like Starbucks frappa-mappa, whippy whippy <laughs> sprinkle, sprinkle, right, you right. know, 1,000 calories and this one thing. And he's like, and yet, you know, he's super thin. He's like, you know, Shannon, he's like, the reason I never gain any weight from these Frappuccino Chocolinos is because I bless them with love before I drink them. Oh. Like, I just, I I bless it with love because I'm going to love drinking it and it's not going to harm my body. And he's like, and I bless, just like I bless strangers and people passing by with love. I bless my food with love. And I love that. He has published so many works and so many books of sayings. And, you know, he's one of these people where his life philosophy is, um, before you speak, just quickly ask yourself, is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? Right? Yeah. And I think about that. And I think about, you know, being able to bless strangers with love, loving kindness, you know, just quick little like, may you be happy. And mm-hmm. as you do that, it starts to rub off, reflect on yourself as well. What you create, it's your work. It's your art work. It's what you make. It is you. So when it's you, it speaks. And it Don't try to truth. be somebody else. I admire so many artists and I admire so much artwork. And I've spent a lot of years saying, I want to paint like that. You know, I want to paint just like that person because it resonates with me and I find it beautiful. And I want that art on my wall and I can't afford to like buy all of it to put on my wall. So I'm going to figure out how to do it. But it's not what comes out of me. (laughs) It's not, I I can't do that. And I stopped trying. I I stopped pretty quickly when it's not, you know, coming out naturally and intuitive because it's it's icky. It's not a good feeling. You're forcing something that's not natural. And now I've learned I can just appreciate all of the art and I can do what comes from me. And I've landed in a place where I feel good about what I'm doing and it'll probably change again, but that's okay. Right now I've landed where I am. No one else is really doing the kind of work that I'm doing exactly, which makes me think I'm on the right path. Not that I'm better or worse than anyone else. It's just different and it makes it feel authentic. And you said something I think that's really important though, that you've crossed something that is that you're, you've accepted and are happy with the work you're making, right? Mm-hmm. And, and how do we get there? That, I think that, that's a bit of a road for some people. It's a feeling that happens. It shouldn't be a struggle, yeah. right? It should be what comes naturally. I think it has two parts. I think one part of it is that often when we love art, right, that 
often they're in the beginning stages for people, the art we make, so our taste or the art we want to make, our taste in art, right? Mm -hmm. Does not yet meet our skill level. That can be something. Yes. So, you, you know, so <laughs> oh, you're, just, I know. you're not there yet. You got to make more garbage art. You have, you really have to, and you've got to just keep plowing through and making garbage. And that's a little bit of the sad part of Instagram, right? You don't see the piles and piles of crap art that are hiding. Yeah, but really great artists, they don't fail, they experiment. Absolutely. And what we know about creativity research and especially creativity and education with children and teens and, and adults is that we need to give people opportunities to fail, right? Mm -hmm. We need to let people experiment and to prototype and, and to fail. And as they are constructing, you're developing and, you know, building your own creative capacity. Yeah, absolutely. I fully, fully agree. I also was, you know, thinking that the work I often, I don't want to say jealous, but uh, work that I've offered, often envied is this really minimalistic, super simple, neutral tone palettes. And it'll be like blob one, blob two, one little stroke of the pencil. And I look at it and I'm like, wow, that's incredible. You and know. I realized that that's just like, that is not me. And I can still love it and appreciate it and I can collect it, but it, it is not me. And my stuff is wild and it's busy and it's loud. And I, I have been... I have been largely criticized before for it being too much. But then at the same time, there's equal praise for people who really like the energy and the vibrancy and the busyness of it. And so, you know, the people who don't like it, they're not, they're not my people. So right. control alt delete, you know, they don't need to be in, in this, in this sphere. And, and that's okay. That's there's okay. something for everybody. Yeah. Are you ever stuck in your, in, your, in your work? And what do you do to get unstuck? So one thing I think that is really big and something that I plan to do in these e-courses that I'm developing to, to help people through this is I always work in series. Mm -hmm. So uh, right now, when I look around my studio, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I have eight paintings on the go right now in this, in this space. And so when I hit any sort of roadblock where I'm stuck in one work, I just immediately abandon. I do not drag a dead horse. I do not let it cause me any more torment and pain. And I move on to the next and I move on to the next. And I just sort of circle around the room. And so I have things tacked on the walls. I have things on the floor. I've got it all over the place. That's one strategy. Another strategy is I turn things upside down or maybe 90 degrees, work on them in a different direction. That's always nice. And sometimes if I'm at that point, like you were mentioning, how do you know if the work is done? That's where I get really tormented by the paintings is where I'm like, oh, I think it's done. I'm not sure if it's done. Oh, I want to add more. <laughs> no, I think it's done. Are you done? Just tell me. And so I've created this place that I call the napping wall. <laughs> <laughs> and I just take these canvases and I put them up over there on the napping wall and then I can just look at them for a week and be around them and be in the space with them and, you know, have the opportunity. And it's funny, I have one spot of the wall where I can actually view from my living room. I have a home-based studio. And so if the studio door is open, so it's interesting because then in the evenings, you know, when I'm in the living room and stuff, I'll always like peek in and look at the napping wall <laughs> and sort of get some ideas for 
what's, what's next. And oftentimes after they've had a nap, I just decide varnish time done. They're done. Other times I'm, I figured out I have aha moments, usually around 3.30 AM. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, turning things around, working in series, having a napping wall. And, you know, I don't have a, a huge pressure on myself to work and create and have this rigorous militant painting schedule. When you're running an art business, there's so many things that need to be done. You can switch between tasks. You can be cleaning stuff. You can be emailing stuff. You can be packaging shipping. You can be updating your website. You can be corresponding. You can be posting, editing photos, whatever it is. So I think that you go outside for a dog walk, come back, do a different task, circle back later that day or maybe the next day. I love the napping wall. Uh, sometime in the winter, I made a post about my napping wall and then I asked other people to tell me if they did something like that and what they call it. And there was like other artists came forward and they're like, I do that too. And they all oh, gave yeah. me what, their names for whatever they call their napping That's wall. That's wonderful. <laughs> Are you aching to change something in the world oh. or in yourself? Yeah. You know, I mean, when I was, you know, 22, I needed to save the entire world and all the people and all the animals and all of it inside of it. And then you get older and you, you know, you, you niche down a little bit. <laughs> make it more manageable. And I think, you know, my, my quest for myself and what I hope for others is I, I really truly believe in living life through loving kindness. And I, I try and be kind and gentle with myself. And I hope that I'm kind and gentle as possible <laughs> with, with others. You know, when you, I, I worked with teenagers for a lot of years. I even had, I would have Students come up to me and they'd be like, oh my gosh, how, how can you do this? They're like, yesterday I told you, yesterday I told you to F off. And now today you're helping me again. <laughs> and be like, yeah. And like, well, was that about me yesterday? Or was that more about like you? And then they'd be like, yeah, that's right. It was about me. I'm sorry. And I'm like, okay, do you want to start fresh today? Okay, we start fresh today. But I think about, you know, these people who are angry at the shops or on the phone or these somebody you come up with that's just in a, in a state in the supermarket. Like we don't know them. We don't know their stories. We don't know their trouble. We don't know how hard their day is. We don't know if they've just lost someone. We don't, we don't know. We don't know. And if we can just believe that maybe they're having a hard time and they just, they could just use a little extra kindness to get through their day that, that maybe could help them out. Yeah. And I think that when you can offer and extend kindness to others and people feel that it gives them a moment to stop and realize that, Maybe they need to be more kind with themselves too. Beautiful perspective. I agree. Living in Finland near the yes. Baltic Sea. Yes. And only having been there for a year, I'm yeah. wondering if you can talk about your support system when things get tough or like who or what do you rely on besides maybe the photographs of your women working right. in your studio? <laughs> Uh, so one, I have, I do have my almost 13-year-old doggo here with me. He's a Border Collie Nova Scotia Duck Toller cross. So he's my little buddy. And having a home studio, a large part of that is getting to hang out with that guy all day. Um, brings me super great joy. Um, I'm also here with my, my partner, who is this endless fountain of support and the biggest cheerleader for my 
art in my art career. And none of this could be possible if you don't have a supportive partner <laughs> because it's an up and down journey True. and it's unpredictable. And it's, there's no such thing as say holiday times and weekends. And you have to like learn to balance that for yourself. And so I'm very lucky for that. But I think one thing that's been really great here is when we first arrived, I was looking for, we were looking for like a yoga class to just go to yoga. Right. And this is like my strategy, my new town strategy. I like just try and find a yoga class and I'm like, okay, this is where I'm maybe going to make some friends. <laughs> and it turned out that, and then I thought, and then maybe we'll find a gym or something. It turns out there's this amazing place here. It's like a two kilometer bike ride. I don't know how to translate the name of, of the business, but it's like a well-being place. And so they do yoga and they do fitness boot camps, but they also do like acupuncture and massage and physiotherapy, but they also do pole dancing and Latin dancing. And then they do meditation, sound bath. You know, you can, it's a choose your own adventure kind of situation. And so I go there almost every day, at least five days a week. And I try different things on. There's one thing I haven't tried yet is this like kangaroo jumping boots thing. Have you seen this? No, no. Explain that. You put on these like boots that they look like ro roller blades, but instead of wheels, they're like these moon boot flex things. And it's like, like an aerobics. Yeah. And it's called like kangoo or something. I'm not ready for it. I'm not ready for that yet. But I just go to like the regular boot camps and the yogas and they do beach right. workouts. And, and it's, it's kind of neat because then even if I don't really know anyone I kind of see that there's all the regulars and I see the same people each day and it's like I have like a time and a place and I have a reason to like go out into the world and be with other humans and it's been really great and obviously the next big thing is uh Instagram <laughs> I never cared or ever cared about social media ever in my life I didn't have Facebook until like four years ago because I needed to find new housemates I had Instagram because I worked with a gallery where it was mandatory for artists to have it and I didn't really use it. And it's not until moving here that I just started posting and then connecting with other artists and creatives all around the world. And it's like incredible. And do you know you can have FaceTime conversations on Instagram now? No. So like people call me. We have like video chats and they'll just be like people, people from India and people from Chile and like all over the, the woman from Switzerland. And they like, they're just other artists. Sometimes it's something quick, like, okay, so how do you like, how do you package? How do you ship an unstretched right. canvas? And you know, we walk, we walk each other through it. Or other times it's just like, hey, like great, great to connect. And I realized that, you know, I've been living in small town Canada for years and years, you know, different right. places around Canada, different places around the world. Here I am in a community where I, I feel like I've put in energy and effort in connecting to the arts community that's here. However, the internet has a much more vibrant community where you can really niche and find your exact tribe, if you want to call it, or your, your people. So I now feel like I'm working each day with a group of colleagues you know these other professionals I see them as my as my colleagues and 
I'm not afraid to approach them and ask them questions just as you would, you know, in a workplace where you'd walk down the hall and ask some, knock on their, someone's door and ask them, be like, Hey, what do you think about this? Well, now I just send a little video message and connect with strangers. And I find it, everybody's so supportive and receptive and I've encountered different collaborations. I, okay, this is a cute story. Many, many, many moons ago, I lived in South Korea. I met a Canadian girl there from Quebec and we became besties. And then poof, we went back and, you know, went to different countries and went on our ways and went to university. We maybe connected one more time in Canada, but I didn't have social media and we lost track of each other for like, I don't know, years, 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 years. We found each other on Instagram. She is also now a full-time artist and is also living in Europe, in Ireland. And we just did, we just did a collaboration together last week. And now we've re- reconnected through the internet. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah and that's, so that's been super cool. Yeah, just different opportunities that have come about. Um, you know, now I'm, there's these two uh, women in Berlin. And they've opened up their own limited edition, small edition print shop in Berlin. And they had their own gallery space, but now they're doing floating gallery spaces. And then they can, they're traveling throughout Germany, Switzerland, and Austria, but they're based out of Berlin and they just want to make art accessible and affordable. And so they work with artists where they often will like manipulate or change or size. They have a risograph, so they're doing risograph prints. I don't and, know what that is. What's a risograph? Oh, yeah. Oh, explain it. it. It's okay. a cool printer that can only print in, uh, there's, you know, I don't have one and haven't done it, so I might say this wrong, but it can only print in like four colors. So it's like a screen print. Okay. It takes your painting and it dissects it down into a screen print and it prints it in the layers. It will change or augment the colors depending on how it's set because you can only have three or four, however the risograph printer works. So they look like those illustrative information diagram infographic books from like the 50s, you know, yep, where the black yep, line yep. is offset oh. from the... The color. Can you send that to us? Can we put that in the show notes? Yes, I will. They're called Kunst 100. And and so I, you know, I have a collaboration and a partnership where I'm working with them where they're doing these limited edition prints and one of mine they've done into a risograph. This has all come from Instagram, the internet. And the first exhibition they did was an Instagram live and they held it during pandemic and they did it on a Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday. And they just went live for an hour and they installed the whole show. And they filmed it and they went through and just had a full exhibition over and over again for three, for three days. It was, it was amazing. I'm trying to think of what else. And then more recently, just since the summertime, I had another collaboration on Instagram with a small design studio out of Helsinki and they make birchwood prints. And they are doing, starting to do collaborations with local based Finland artists where they're doing small batch limited edition prints on Finnish sustainably sourced birchwood. And that stuff's like amazing. Yeah. It augments the colors and you can see the wood grain. And even though they're prints, they're all different because the wood is different. Yeah. Social media. I love, love, love the internet. Hate it. Love it. It's really got me to reframe the way I look at community. I've always thought that I need people around me physically. The best thing about going to a day job is that you get to see people. And for me, and then I get to connect with other humans. For several years, I rented studio space. And every time I went somewhere, I kept expecting to see a lot of people and gathering. 
and community. And really their community was, let's go have a drink at 10 o'clock at night, or I work during the day and I'm here all night. Well, my schedule and the time in my life didn't really allow for that. So when I started reaching out to people for this podcast, I cannot believe how fulfilling it is to talk to somebody for an hour and a half. It feeds me for a whole week. I'm so excited beforehand. I love doing the interview. And afterwards, I think about all the different connections that I have made and that I can share with other people and all the resources. And this is it. Like, this is the really cool thing. And this is community in a way that I never thought, I would never have met you if it wasn't for Instagram. I know. And it's just like what what you were saying about that feeling of community and being filled is like sharing resources and having that you know, when you're able to help people, it, get, it gives you that sense of purpose. Right? Yes, yes, and absolutely. Having a, sense, having a sense of purpose is really important. And, you know, I am so grateful to have met you and I can't believe we're doing this. It's, um, it's awesome. I think about that too, you know, when you were asking me about who do you, you know, your followers and I think about the new artists and stuff like when you, you want to be able to offer value to people, right? Right. And to give yourself a sense of purpose. And in everything we do and create and make, we hope that it means something to ourselves, sure, but also outside of ourselves would kind of be nice to grow, grow together. And Doing this project right here, it's not about me. It's about me being a vessel for other people's curiosity. I heard a woman was interviewed. She works at the Field Museum in Chicago. Her job title is Chief Curiosity Correspondent, and I think I'm Amazing. going to appropriate that. <laughs> Because I feel like that's what I do. One of my biggest strengths is this curiosity, love of learning. I just want to know everything and dig in and share it with other people who might find it interesting. So a curator of sorts, I guess. But it totally feeds me. Curiosity curator? A curiosity curator. Is there something in your studio that you can't live without? (sighs) Okay. Um, So, I mean... One thing that's always here, the dog is always in here with me, and I really like having him in here. When he's not in here, I go out looking for him, like, where are you, little buddy? So I feel like when he's in here, I have company and we're sharing in it together. That I really like. Uh, One thing that's physical in the space that's structural, I have an antique wood stove in my studio, and it's a circular Nordic Scandinavian style with like decorative little doors and I have all these photographs all the old photographs of these people that I've collected here in Finland (laughs) um, tacked up on it. I know these aren't like tools or things I I suppose I'm using in my art but at the same time I'm using them in my art. They're they're all part of it. They're all part of it right. So those are things that I really enjoy. I don't know I don't think I have any attachment in terms of can't live without but those are things I really appreciate. What's the hardest thing about your work that people might not expect? Oh my gosh, Margaret. The hardest thing about my work? You mean the actual process of making the work that people wouldn't expect? Oh my gosh, how much time I spend thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if with abstract work, if people think that it's quick and easy and splashy and fluid and it's like... 30 minutes to an hour and done. You just, I will tell you, anybody can learn to draw, right? Anybody can learn to draw. We can teach anybody. I know this. Betty Edwards, we know this. You know, to do something representational, to draw from a photograph, to paint something representational, to learn how something looks, to do perspective, to measure, grid it out, whatever. That's easy. 
the shades, the tones, the values, the colors, the portions, the perspective, it's all, it's all there. It's already exists. But with the abstract work, oh, you're, you are, it's like you are in the casino, right? You're in the pinball machine or you're at the slots and it's all just, you're all over the place and you're trying to find balance, harmony, unity, rhythm, and you're trying to, to bring it, bring it all together to, you know, have a sense of itself if that makes you know to find where it lands and where it, where it's going to show itself in the world so i think that that's one thing that people perhaps don't don't know that the the journey from representational and portraiture to abstraction um abstract is <laughs> it's a uh, it's tough you said the journey from representational to abstract do you think that people who have never painted representationally and just start off in abstract? Do you need that background in order to do abstract work? What do you think? I don't think you need a background, right? I also don't think great art is about talent either, right? I think it's more about passion and enthusiasm. Perseverance. Yeah, absolutely. For people who did attend formal art training programs, there's no way that they escaped having to do that stuff. Right. And so perhaps it came easy to them. And so then they fell into that, you know, it's something they sort of did well, maybe in their formative years of developing as an artist. And so they were like, Oh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty good at doing portraits. So like, this is what I, this is what I do. So it perhaps didn't present itself to them to do something else. Whereas maybe, you know, other people are like, okay, I can do this, but like, I don't, I don't like it so much. What else, what else is what else is out there? And maybe that leads them to abstraction or maybe that leads them to collage or to textiles or to ceramics or to something else. But yeah, I don't know if I have a specific belief system around going one way or the other. I do get DMs from people though that are realistic painters and they say things, there's a common sort of thread where they say things like, I've never done abstracts, but I'd really love to try. And then I go and check out their work and I'm like, whoa, this person's like an incredible artist. How are they afraid of anything? They can do anything. <laughs> so just because they're an incredible artist, maybe they're not afraid to do something else. Yeah, right. We need, yeah, bravery. Right. We need bravery and courage. All of these things. Just to start, sure. just to put it out there. And, you know, sometimes when I'm really feeling stuck and having a difficult time, on my large scale abstract paintings, I'll do things like um, cyanotypes, or I have, I make jelly plates, like gelatin printing. Stuff. That's how yeah. I make all my papers, oh, all my monoprints. Okay. Yay. So you can buy these jelly plates or you can make your own gelatin yep. printers. A lot of my old photographs, I've reprinted them onto acetate and inverted them into negatives and stuff. So I have a whole collection. I have a whole collection of doilies. I collect antique lace doilies. And actually the town I'm living in in Finland is the town of lace and they have a lace week and it's where like lace making for the seafarers amongst Europe and Scandinavia came from. And so they celebrate all things lace making here. So I've always collected lace, but it just happens now I live in the lace town. (laughs) I also do sewing textile work. I had originally studied textiles before becoming a painter in art school. And I make these um, nests. And I did a whole series like 15 years ago um, after coming back from living in Asia for five years. The things that I desired so much were to have a garden 
because that meant like I was going to stay somewhere longer right. than like four months. And uh-huh. I really wanted to go and see like live music. Those were two things. But I made these series of nests and, you know, I called it my nesting series and that idea of like laying roots and calling it home and having a sense of place and identity. And, you know, I've since moved 14 times, I don't know, in the last 10 years or something like something ridiculous like that. So I go and do something else. I collage. I do cyanotypes. I do drawings. A few weeks ago, I spent a whole Saturday. I did an Instagram live and I did lino block cuts and prints. And I think sometimes you just got to change what you're up to. Yeah, it, it sort of. I'm always signing like, up for like little workshops, oh. right? You know, let's do a ceramics class this time, or let's do tissue paper collage. Was the first thing that got me into collage. Um, I know a woman who she does very large scale mono prints. She's got huge presses. Oh, she cool. does these amazing, beautiful works. So layers and layers of just bright colors. And she does workshops every once in a while. So I'll go for four or five hours on a Saturday. There'll be like four or five of us. And we'll spend a Saturday making those prints. I mean, in caustic workshops, I love those. (gasps) I'd love to try Um, that. Last year I had a heck of a year where like working full-time, finishing graduate research full-time. And I signed up for a like four months ceramic course. (laughs) Four months? That's a commitment. And it it wasn't a beginner one. It was like an intermediate one, but it was also kind of an open studio. So the teacher wasn't directing the course. It was for people with experience in clay making. Sure. And then there was, you know, a a professional mentor there. So then everybody could make work on the type of projects they wanted. So you could do hand building, slabs, wheel, whatever. And people just would get help. And it was great. And I, because it was every Friday night from like, I don't know, was it like seven to nine thirty or something like that? And I was like, this is this is perfect. My life and schedule are so crazy right now. I was working like 120 hours a week. I'd work all day and then go to like a co-work space all evening. And I thought, I'm gonna protect two hours every single week for studio time creative practice. And I know it's not painting and it's not my professional work of what I create and sell and show, but I need to, you know, finish this research, get it done protecting these two hours every week is going to work for me. And I can't be meeting up with friends and having glasses of wine on Friday nights because I need to get Saturday morning at 6 a.m. to the co-work to start writing thesis work again. And it was awesome. And I met these people who didn't, I didn't know them. I didn't know any of these people. And we're just this little crew that had the same studio time together every week. And it was, it was awesome. And I mean, I could never like, you know, sell my ceramics. You'll, you'll get them as a Christmas present, but like, I can't sell them. But would you consider that, you know, sort of rest and play? How do you, how do you rest? How do you play? You've talked about going to the gym and doing all that stuff and you like yeah. to be outdoors and. Yeah. I love backcountry and downhill skiing, cross-country skiing, mountain biking. I love sports. And I do think that being in these sort of complimentary art practices like you know in the ceramics I'm not just going in there and slapping clay I do have something I love to do and my thing is as I make spoons <laughs> and so I have made hundreds and hundreds maybe thousands of these ceramic spoons and I've done things with the lace and all kinds of things I don't know anyhow so it's just like another little little 
outlet. But in terms of work and play, I, okay, the idea of like working full-time artists and not having fun anymore, that's not a thing for me. I, every day I wake up and I am so happy to live life. I'm so excited. I rather work 24 hours a day for myself than for somebody else. Like I wake up ready to get into my studio every day. I am so excited. I have a hard time to stop working. I'm also maybe a you know, a recovering working workaholic and I'm <laughs> trying to, and then when you work for yourself, you know, there's no one to like force mm-hmm. you to quit. However, I do try and keep somewhat office hours to be respectful of myself and, and family time and to have that rhythm that it's like in the evenings is your, your family and home time. And for doing regular things like tending to the garden and going for dog walks and cooking and bike rides or uh, last night we went to our secret spot and we went blueberry picking. So it's blueberries are out here. And then in the fall we spent (laughs) almost every evening picking, um, mushrooms chanterelles and then we dried them all in our sauna because we have a sauna because every house and apartment in finland has one <laughs> i've heard that <laughs> and then we gave them to everybody all of our mushrooms for christmas and that was cool but yeah so i do try and stop around 6 p.m and i try not to do too much work on the weekends and if i do paint or spend time in the studio on the weekends i don't know why or how but it feels different it feels like it's just mm-hmm. play or for me or because I want to create. It doesn't feel like I need to get this done or I have a deadline or I'm working through my list because Monday to Friday, I'm working off of a, a Trello and a calendar and things like that. But on the weekends, if I'm painting, it's just because I want to. And yes, I'm still working, but it feels somehow more like play. So I try and keep kind of banker's hours. Do you have a uniform? Oh, that you wear painting, in the studio? A painting, a painting yeah, uniform? Yeah. I do. I, do. I don't you know. You do? I, I do. I have two. Okay. So have, I'll just tell you my uniform is basically, you know, just like a painty pair of jeans and a painty shirt. And then the other one is a painty pair of leggings with a skirt that I wear on top. And the reason is, is the skirt has pockets. And as all y'all oh, know, yes. women's clothes don't yes. have pockets. Yes. And pockets. so. It's like leggings and then skirt with pockets and if everything's, you know, painty. And I actually try and make rules for myself that I'm, I really shouldn't be allowed in my studio unless I'm wearing my painty clothes because then I just get paint on everything. And then from teaching for so many years where you're wearing professional attire to work and then you're around paint anyhow. And then I have two aprons and I actually have my apron from art school from my first year of university. And that's kind of important and special to me because sure. when I went high school and I went right into art school and I remember getting this apron and it's denim I remember thinking like I'm here now am I a real artist because <laughs> now I've got this apron and so uh, I've had that for you know all these years and then the second apron I have I love is that the, the apron that I've always wore uh, worn while teaching I brought them both with me because I do seem to wear the uh, art school one when I'm creating my own work for myself and I tend to wear the teaching one when I'm doing tutorial videos or things like that this has been so great so happy you've done this and started this it's so great thank you thank you we have to do our rapid fire questions okay on the spot are you ready yeah first one music podcast tv or silence audiobooks 
I got to add that to my list. You're my second one. Do you listen to something specific? So I do try if I'm listening to, I always have an audiobook on the go. The reason I got into audiobooks is I somehow started getting car sick in my adult, in my adult mm, life, mm-hmm. which I've now found out from different healthcare professionals that this is like actually a normal a like thing? condition for women. Yeah. Oh God, Anyhow, I hope I don't get that. <laughs> it was really hard on me on um, overnight buses in South America. Anyhow, oh. so I started getting into the, yeah, I started getting into these, uh, into these audiobooks. It's great. I do listen to things that are either about artists, about growing creativity, or about like art business growth. Mm-hmm. Nonfiction. So yeah, Mostly. absolutely not not because fiction. I want to hold it. I want to smell it. I want to lie right. in a hammock. I want to be in the camper. But during the work week in the studio, for example, uh, last week I finished Seth Godin's Purple Cow. Uh, love him. You know, so- Yep, love him. And then also today, I dip in and out of this because I've probably read it like four times, but I'm rereading The Artist Way. And so I, you know, just put the headphones in. And I've re-listened to uh, like Big Magic, you know. Do you have comfort food? Pizza. Yeah. We make pizza every Friday. We have a pizza stone. We buy uh, special, special mm-hmm. flour, special yeast. We've got it down to very particular art. art. Favorite toppings? Okay. So the pizza that we make at home (laughs) is very traditional Napoleana, where it's like, you know, roasted tomatoes, olives, fresh basil from the garden, Uh and some matzah after the fact. But if you want me, like if I was freestyling and making pizzas, I don't know if this is because I'm Canadian or not, and people are going to crunch when they're out there, but I really love pineapple on the pizza. (laughs) In Europe, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. That's the answer is well, then that's not pizza. (laughs) Uh, Describe your favorite outdoor spot. I feel Mm. like you have the world to choose from and places you've been. We didn't even talk about your whole travel existence. We'll have you back and we'll do another episode on travel (laughs) and how it affects creativity. That'd be a fun one, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be awesome. Okay. You know, I love the mountains and I love water. And so I think, you know, my home has been in the mountains and both my parents and my brother uh, live by live by water. And so visiting family are often my favorite outdoor outdoor places. And my brother lives in the middle of nowhere with his family and my parents live in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So those are some of my favorite outdoor wilderness places. What would you do with a financial windfall? I would love to just be giving money away, making people happy. Be like, do you have a list? I have a little list. I have like a little list of people who might need might need some help, you know? They're on my list just in case I run into some money. I mean, wouldn't that be so fun to be able to give people oh, money? yes. <laughs> that sounds more fun than like getting the money yourself. I really don't, I can't even answer that. The first thing would be to give it away. I'd probably, you know, buy more plants. And I would build, I have like, Pinterest boards of what my dream studio looks like. Oh, yeah. And it is in the middle of nowhere, probably on Vancouver Island. And, you know, it's just like basically made of windows, has a green roof. Maybe goats can go up there if they want. So here's the problem. If it's all made of windows, do you have something in the middle where you can tack your, (laughs) you, you figured this out, right? Because that's my problem. There's no wall space, but I also want windows. You could do like floating boards on are on wheels that you move them around. Oh yeah, like those whiteboards on wheels. Right. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. Just do big ones out of wood, right. or 
you do sort of one of these slant roof ones where the largest wall is your south facing that's all windows on three sides and then the backside within the area you can reach is a 10 foot wall that you can just hammer hammer into i really like this thing with the boards and i thought you could even if you had this big like 10 feet by six feet boards and you can work on it up and down you had it on wheels but then if it had hinges you could flip it into a tabletop as well when you want to work flat and do pory drippy smooshy things you are onto something there, sister. You've thought about this just a little I bit. I, I told you, Pinterest boards. <laughs> there you go. Oh, this was so fun. It's so great to see you. I love seeing your studio space. I'm so sorry you can't see what I see. But when you go to the show notes and look in the gallery, you'll get to see pictures of Shannon's studio and some of her works. I cannot thank so you enough for doing this and for reaching out to me to begin with because <laughs> your you're doing that for 15 seconds led to this. And now I'm going to move my family to Canada yes, and build a studio with floating <laughs> boards to put my artwork on. Oh, and I'm just so, so touched that the video spoke to you because it's taken some bravery and courage for me to be sending these videos. But I also realized that my desire to want to connect more deeply with people is stronger than my my fear of doing it. I really appreciate you having me on and this has been wonderful and I can't wait to hear all the other people that are coming on and who you're going to find. It's going to be great.